Welcome to the Inspiring Adventure Podcast, a podcast that connects you to the great outdoors through literature. Welcome to episode 14 of the Inspiring Adventure Podcast. Today we take a little break from our standard interview structure and instead we've got John D. Burns reading chapter 2 from Bothy Tales. I'm here to tell you a little bit about two projects that I've done with with Vertebrate. One that's in progress, that's been published later this year, and that you can support via Kickstarter, and another that's already been published. The first book is called Never Leave the Dog Behind, something I've been working on for quite a few years now, and it brings together my love of dogs with my love of mountains. It's a book that sort of investigates the different ways that we relate to adventure and to mountain environments in particular through our dogs why it's so much better taking dogs to the hills it's a book of chapters that are kind of like essays and in them I interview climbers who also who love dogs um, like Chris Bonington and Lucy Creamer and others I also spend time in the hills with search and rescue dogs and go to Switzerland and meet St Bernard's and think about their history as search and rescue dogs But running through it all is a story of my own about how I became a dog lover because I was actually terrified of dogs as a kid and when I was growing up. And when I lived in the Lake District um, a few years ago now, I adopted a a rescue dog called Belle. She's sadly no longer with us, but the book became a kind of memorial to that process and to, to what it's like to live with a dog when you've been frightened of dogs and to start taking a dog on all your outdoor adventures with you. So threaded through the book are these little kind of interludes where I talk about Belle and I thought I'd like to share one of those extracts with you. So this is from my forthcoming book, Never Leave the Dog Behind. Belle, I have been running for a long time, unravelling a spool of breath. I've not lived here long enough to know the landscape by name, but I've found a tarn, a frozen rut of track, the place where a stream used to be. All the time, the lean dog runs ahead of me. I can't call her mine, not yet. She's the colour of musical notation. Something about her body makes me think of a harp. Perhaps it's the broad curve of her chest, its half-wing shape, or the way her legs grasp up the path like quick fingers, fingers plucking at strings. Sometimes I whistle out her name and she comes back to me for a moment. Bell. It is a high, thin sound, a clear thought. We reach the plateau and the way curves back down to Grasmere. Everything is visible for a moment. Everything is open, white and pale grey. And then she is gone. A whippet is built to run. Not far, but fast. Its heart is large and slow beating, often a rhythmic at rest, skittish. But that heartbeat settles when the dog can run, sets into the rhythm it knows best. They run with a double suspension gallop, all four legs off the ground twice in each stride, once when the legs are totally extended and again when they tuck under the body. And whippets are built to chase, rabbits, squirrels, hares, sometimes a deer. They are quick enough to catch, not always strong enough to kill large quarry. 
When they track their prey, they excel at leaving the world behind. The winter I moved to Cumbria, my grandfather was dying. Nobody told me because nobody knew yet. I paced around a house too big for me, putting things in place and then putting them somewhere else, arranging, admiring. The rooms leaked into each other. On the drive up from East Anglia with all my possessions crammed in the boot, my car had broken down 14 miles away from the city I'd just left. I sat by the roadside, wondering if it meant I should go back. Then my friends Al and Dor came to the rescue in a shiny people carrier. I arrived in the Lake District as a passenger, opening bottles of beer with the metal of the seatbelt fastener. It took me a week before I noticed the village silence, the way the rain on the roof amplified it. When the first snow came, I phoned a local animal shelter because I wanted to volunteer as a dog walker. Do you mind if I ask you a bit about yourself? I'm a writer, poetry, I work from home. And what else do you do? The pause lasted a half beat, a whippet heartbeat. I climb mountains and I like to run. On your own? Yes, I live alone. You might suit a sighthound, lurcher maybe, or a whippet. All my life I've been terrified of dogs. The shape of one in the distance was once enough to make me cross the road or detour for miles out of my way. I remember the gnat-like Yorkshire terriers from the farm by my parents' house that fastened themselves to my dad's ankles. I remember how he picked me up and held me when I screamed. And in some earlier, vaguer thought, I remember another dog, another more violent encounter, teeth and breath. When I met Belle, I tried not to flinch from her. She jumped at me and I stood my ground. It was only when I walked her on a lead through Ambleside for the first time that I realised she was more nervous than I was, cowering. Her face was timid and fractious. Her dark eyes reflected my own face, my own fear. In her award-winning memoir, Hatches for Hawk, Helen MacDonald describes the way her solitude merged with the proud isolation of the young goshawk she was training, a bird she'd taken on while she was still grieving for her dead father. As they lived together, their habits began to merge. She ate little or ate greedily. She slept at strange times. She avoided people. She says, the hawk was everything I wanted to be. Solitary, self-possessed, free from grief and numb to the hurts of human life. All creatures change your habits. When you walk alone with a whippet, you train your eyes to look for movement. Height becomes crucial. A rustle in the bushes is amplified. You're not content with the invisibility of sound. You want to see everything. From the first time I ever went to Scotland with my dad and looked down from the top of the Easians to Loch Treg, I've been obsessed with high places. I go to the hills to help me think. I run up a mountain when I want to leave my mood at the bottom, balance up tiny gritstone holds when I want to forget. The first time I saw Belle leap up onto a dry stone wall on the way down from Easdale and pad along it carefully, I realised height gives you control, a vantage point. She padded along it for a stretch, head darting to either side, and she leapt down gracefully and trotted by me. Whippets were originally small greyhounds, 
deemed unsuitable for hunting because of their size. Over time, they became popular for catching rats and rabbits. They were often taken on by families in mining communities across the north who used them for racing and sometimes gave the puppies to their children for warmth. A whippet curled up on the bed at night makes an amazing hot water bottle. There's something almost comical about a domestic whippet, the way they lie on the sofa all day, shiver at draughts and pace the house until they've found the comfiest spot. Their devotion to human company is almost heartrending. But out in the open, everything changes. The first time I lost Belle in the woods, I scoured the undergrowth for what felt like hours, crashing through wet bracken and whistling for her, pausing to catch a sound from the heart of the trees. She was chasing a young deer, alive to a shape I hadn't even seen. When she came back, panting, she seemed to have a cool disregard for the hunt she'd just been on, pacing without a glance back into the woods. The part I've always loved most about running is setting out, the route before you, closing the door to the house, the faint dream of never coming back. Even when you know where you're going, there's always the sense that you could take another path for no good reason, run on and on until your legs give out. Ever since I was a teenager, I've been escaping down canal towpaths and up mountain tracks, setting out without telling anyone where I was going or how long I'd be cross-country races, trying to get ahead of the pack. I'd sometimes run with other people, half disdainful if they couldn't keep up. When I went to my granddad's funeral in Birmingham, I had to take Belle with me. She looked tiny on the end of her red leash. None of my family knew about her. When we turned up at my step-grand's door, she was vague with grief. She let the dog in wide-eyed. In the sad days that followed, I often wished I was back in Easedale, my thoughts tracking Bell metres ahead of me. I wasn't used to company anymore except the half-company of the local pub, the old men who propped up the bar and only spoke to you if it was important. I walked Bell round the new estates, the suburban streets that held no interest for her, the loud cars. But when I fell asleep with Bell curled up on the end of the bed, I allowed myself to think of my granddad. We were at the athletics track in Windley on a day so hot the red surface seemed to store the sun and reflect the heat back. He was almost completely blind by then and leaned on a white cane. He wore a pale blue short-sleeved shirt. He had a stopwatch in his hand even though he couldn't read it. I was too skinny in my red county vest and shorts, uncomfortable in my own skin, squinting and pushing my fringe out of my eyes. He didn't know what I looked like, not really, but he was proud of how I trained. He stood in the sunlight and held the watch. He turned his face towards the sky as if he was checking the sun was in the right place. Then he told me to run. I'm really looking forward to um, Never Leave the Dog Behind being out in the world and being able to share the book with you. And if you'd like to be a part of that process and, and get a photo of you and your dog in the book, then it'd be wonderful if you could support the Kickstarter campaign, which you can find if you follow Vertibooks on Twitter or if you go to their website. 
The other piece I'm going to read is something that I contributed to a project that I was also involved in editing with Vertebrates, a book called Waymaking, which I'm so proud to have been part of. I edited it with, with several others, with Heather Dorr and Camilla Barnard and Claire Jane Carter. And we wanted to tell some of the stories of women who love the outdoors and who love adventure and who have fantastic things to write about. We wanted to show all kinds of different narratives of adventure and use different forms, whether it was poetry, visual art, fiction, non-fiction, or photography, even cartoons and sort of comics in places. Waymaking took us many, many years to put together and it was fantastic to work with Vertebrate on the book. We were really delighted this year when the book was awarded a prize at the the prestigious Banff Mountain Literature Festival in Canada and we were thrilled to win the Mountain Literature category. It was a reflection of all the contributors who'd, who had worked with on the book and all the work that Vertebrate had put into it too. Quite a lot of the book deals with different sports. We've got lots of swimming, running, walking, or just being outdoors. But there's a fair bit of climbing, as you'd expect, in there. And I wanted to share the piece of mind that made it into the book. It's a piece called The Climb, and it was inspired by an interview with the one and only Gwen Moffat. So this is my piece, The Climb. The climb begins under cigarette smoke sky, below a rock's mossed fin. No, the climb begins in sinew, muscles twitching on the landscape's brim, above a saucer valley, Langdale, crossed by rivers you could almost dive in. No, the climb begins with rain, battering the old dungeon gill, where you sit with your battered guidebook by the battered windowsill. The climb begins in your ice blue Ford, the wheels manic spin, your face framed in the rear view mirror briefly like a lost twin, the radio, your rucksack, the pale quartz of your chin. The climb begins with thought, its static electricity against your skin, begins with stonefall memory, Loud, the way the thunder sings a baritone. How lightning once forked past you left the branches singed. The climb begins with sleepless nights, the strange stone of your whim. The climb begins on days there's nothing to be done and nothing you can bring. The silence you live in holding a quick draw bright as a wedding ring. The climb begins on a nameless slab the place where the holds get thin, now thinner. It begins in your held breath, your sudden rictus grin, your reach, your balance, how a magpie skims and settles, prim below you in the copse, how the sheep all scatter with their scattered din, how a walker passes, holds his solitude like a priceless violin, how the river starts to beckon you, glassy with its dark mossed trim. The climb begins the moment you undress and start to swim. You start the climb when you squint up at the buttress for the perfect line, when you lift your hands and they fit the rhyolite like an end rhyme. No, you start the climb with thoughts that knock against each other, chime like the gear on your harness, twist like a sling's blue twine. When you're so alive, you lift a bottle and your tongue turns water into wine. 
When you stand unmoved in summer's firing line, and Cumbria's a glass of heat, the sun's a slice of lemon rind. You start the climb when you're done with patience, done with being kind. When your nerve is a thin seam of frozen water, stilled in wintertime. No matter how your feet slip, how the holds are slick with shine. You start the climb with the sudden focus of a mountain guide. You start it like a careful mourner at a gold-edged shrine. You start it in the last vertebrae of your long spine, in your blunt fingernails and your hair's loose vine. You start with breath and blood that could be mine. You start the climb with no love, no name, no fear in the mind. Thanks so much for listening to me read. I feel I should mention as well, because you'll have noticed that the Lake District is a recurring theme um, in my work and in my interests. And the other book that I really enjoyed working on with Vertebrate was the Lake District Trail Running Guide, which I edited quite a few years ago now, um, a collection of off-road routes around the Lake District with some kind of popular routes that you might expect and also some some more unusual ones that you might not know about so um that's another very different book for a fiction writer to have produced something that i worked on with vertebrate a, a little while ago i do hope you've achieved a bit of escapism by listening to john's reading from chapter two of his book bothy tales you can order this and all our other titles direct from the website that's v-publishing.co.uk and take advantage of our site-wide 30% off sale. We are still mailing out orders through Royal Mail, but please bear with us as we're aware that some services are experiencing a bit of a delay. It's also worth noting that our video output on YouTube will be less regular, but I'm hoping to make up for that with more frequent podcast episodes, so keep tuning in. And don't forget to share this podcast with friends and family who might be interested, and we'll be back again next Thursday. We're social, so search for Vertebrate Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube or sign up for our newsletter at v-publishing.co.uk.